I don't know how many people I've heard say they drink to calm their anxiety. As we start to understand that alcohol actually contributes to our anxiety, we have to start learning healthy ways to cope with it. It's not easy. In this episode, we talk with Travis, Antje, and Zoe about how we deal with anxiety in recovery, and we walk away with some valuable new ideas. We hope you do too. Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Julie and Steve. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full there's no space left for alcohol. Before we get started, we just want to remind you that we do host weekly meetings now. So everyone can take part in conversations like these because we know how valuable they are in all stages of recovery. For more info, you can visit our website at www.throughtheglassrecovery.com. Welcome, everybody. We are so excited to have this group of guests with us tonight. Um, We have Travis, Antia, and Zoe. Antia and Zoe have both been here before. Travis is the only newbie, so I'm going to let you go last and let the girls go first. Antia, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Julie. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. I'm Antia. I'm 45 years old, and I am one year and two months sober. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. It's really nice to have you. Really nice to have you back. Antia is a dear friend of ours and is on several episodes, so it's nice to see you again. And next we have Zoe, who is also returning. Yes, I am Zoe. And thanks again for having me. And I am 28 years old. I have two kiddos and I am two years into my sobriety. Awesome. Amazing. Really cool. It's cool. It's nice to have you again. And that leaves Travis. How are you tonight? I'm well. Thank you, Julie and Steve. Hi, everyone. My name is Travis. I'm 33 years old. I live in Connecticut. I am a person in mental health recovery. What that means to me is it's been about six years since I made a choice to heal from depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation, some substance use as well. And I'm just really happy to be here talking about recovery with you guys. Awesome. Yeah, we're really happy to have you. And Travis, we actually met, um, we haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, but Steve and I recently took recovery coach training and Travis was our instructor there and that's where we met him. So really excited to have you on tonight. Thank you. So we hear people say all the time that they drink to settle their nerves and they drink to numb their anxiety. Most people know that alcohol actually makes us more anxious, and yet they still fall into that trap. Anxiety is a really, really uncomfortable feeling, and it's easy to want to run away from it. So we're going to talk about how we deal with anxiety without escaping from it. How has anxiety affected your life, and what have you learned about working through it? It's a great topic, Julie. <laughs> right on. <laughs> <laughs> Auntie and I were talking earlier and and saying, like, we both really still probably need to work on this, but. Well, yeah, yeah. I I think that's where I started about three or four years, my big journey into this spin-off 
therapy and recovery was that I went to a doctor and said, help me with my anxiety. I just can't deal with this. I just want something. And I was hoping maybe to get some medication. And he was like, nah, how about we try some therapy? And I'm like, oh, I guess, yes, I just need some tools. And I just, you know, went from there. So I've been dealing with anxiety for a long time. And yeah, I have developed some tools and I can share some now, or we can just talk about the icky feeling of being anxious and what that's like for a while. The icky <laughs> it's feeling. Like, oh, it's like the worst. It is. Yes. It's... It is this thought distortion that, you know, everything spirals, spirals out of proportion that is just icky, you know. And it just takes over. Like for me, it's ruminating, right? I will have one worry or one thing that I'm anxious about and it'll just spin around in my head all day long or sometimes for days at a time. And it's exhausting. And I completely understand why people wanted to run from it, why I used to want to run from it because it's so, it just sucks you in. Yes. It, it's like you can't focus on anything else anymore. Whatever's going on in your life gets drowned out by this obsession about something some fear that something's gonna happen that you messed something up and it just goes snowballing in all directions from there that you're an awful person and then you've done this before and you should have known better and you know it's just yeah actually what i've learned to then um identify this and try to stop it which is still hard but to say hold on this is anxiety and just even be at that level to say okay, I'm anxious. Hello, here's anxiety. <laughs> and to just kind of look at it in the eyes and say, okay, this is what it is. It doesn't help that much to make it better, but it's the first step to at least say, okay, I'm in this place because, you know, everything got triggered. Yeah. It has teeth, doesn't it? Ooh. Anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, pe- people who don't experience anxiety, I always say it's like being nervous, but with teeth. And I don't know about the rest of you guys, but like, it's something I've experienced my whole life. So like when I was a kid, I I was really attached to my mom. She was my very emotionally available parent, whereas my dad, love him to death, just not not the same way. So whenever my mom wasn't around, I remember being like a little kid waiting in the window, just like ruminating and ruminating. When is my mom coming home? When is my mom coming home? And I got the message as a little kid that the way to get rid of problems, the way to get mom home was by thinking it into oblivion, right? So I went into life thinking this was normal. And it wasn't until, you know, I had some serious mental breaks, abusive relationships where the teeth really came out and it became debilitating as as an adult. And for me, when I went to therapy and trying to figure out like how to deal with this you know they they take you through the exercise where you close your eyes and you have to think about what you can feel what you can smell what you can hear you know that grounding exercise and that was really helpful but i think for me it was creativity that really really helped me i i really got into poetry and music and ways to name my feelings you know mm-hmm. label them and explore them in ways that were on my terms, right? And that was really important for me, at least. Really like the anxiety with teeth. Like, I really, really like that. Because as a kid, I would describe anxiety as I'd be like, I'm excited, but it's bad. I never knew like what my anxiety was. I just knew like, 
when I felt triggered, I'd get that racing feeling and I'd get this just whole body like response. And I'd just be very stoic on the outside, but on the inside, it was like I was screaming and I never knew how to articulate that. And I didn't know I had anxiety until I was in like high school and I was a teen mom. So I'm like finally being told, like, I'm about to have a child. I'm being told by my friends, oh, you've got anxiety. And I'm like, is that what that feeling is? Like, I'm anxious. Like, wow. And like, it just kind of like carried on into my adulthood. And I, I saw the progression of that when my drinking and substance abuse started getting out of hand. And I was like, wow, this is an unhealthy coping mechanism. <laughs> like, this is... This is how this manifests in different ways. So, so yes, I, I definitely feel your pain, Travis. I've had anxiety my whole life. I still struggle with it, but definitely have learned throughout the last two years how to cope with it better, but I still exist with it. I coexist with my anxiety just a lot smoother than I used to. Yeah. For me, I didn't realize the association between skin picking and anxiety. I was not aware that that those are related I would think 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 and I had to think whilst like picking my skin and I did not realize and that would be my best show before that was like a recording button on a tv my the best show would be on tv that I missed that I was look for looking forward for the whole week and then something happened and I got so anxious and I had to think 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 that the entire show went by and I was in the bathroom in front of the mirror picking my skin and thinking, 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 thinking and hating everything and wanting to stop and wanting to watch the show. And from commercial break to commercial break, just couldn't get over there to watch the show and it was gone. And I didn't know that those things are a link, that one way to, to work, how it manifests is by picking or yeah, nail biting or food eating, uh, trying to cope with being anxious by just stuffing things in your mouth and trying to zone out and not feel the anxiety. So just those insights really help to understand that that's what I'm doing when I'm anxious. And this feeling that I'm trying to get rid of is anxiety that you would think people would tell you that at some point, like they tell you other things like this is how you feel when you're angry. Somebody would let you know this is anxiety like what you were saying Zoe you know it would have been so helpful for me to know that I just hated that I was doing these weird things that I felt like nobody else was doing yeah and I didn't know that I was trying to cope with feeling anxious and skin picking especially skin picking is something nobody ever talks about so like nobody is gonna say even to a teenager hey this is why you're doing that. Like nobody even acknowledges that that exists as a, a disorder and that it's directly related to anxiety. That's just, that seems to be something nobody talks about. That was something that I did forever and still do occasionally. And that seems like nobody wants to talk about it. So then we all yeah. just sit there drowning in shame. Like we think we're the only ones that do that until we talk about it. Yeah, it's it's serious. That is a, That's something I still struggle with. And it got to a point where I wouldn't leave my house without a full face of makeup. So like me being on here with no makeup on at 29 years old, like five years ago, I would never, <laughs> I wouldn't leave my house without foundation on concealer, eye makeup. And it sounds like silly, but I would sit in front of a mirror and destroy my face. And then I'd be so pissed at myself for doing it. And then it was like this, just it's a vicious cycle, like most things. So the skin picking is is definitely something that I've <laughs> I've experienced as well. And it, it is awful. 
There is actually, so Antia, Steve, and I all met on the app, I Am Sober. Mm -hmm. And when you first sign into that app, you select the, the, the thing that you're recovering from, the addiction yep. that you're recovering from. And skin picking is actually listed as one of those things to track how long you go, which I thought was amazing and actually thought that it was just incredible that there is support for that too, and that it can be considered an addiction. It's it's just another thing to recover from. That's crazy. I have the same app. So I never I never realized that was on there. Honestly, the day counter app helped me a lot with my sobriety because I'm like a milestone person. I needed to see to be like, okay, I'm on the right track. Like and it sounds like minute, but for me, it was a big deal. And I know for a lot of people, it's a big deal. So I'm actually probably after we get off, I'm going to put that on my thing and see if I can stick with it and see mm -hmm. days accumulate. Because for me, that's rewarding. Yeah. We have a friend that actually did that just with nail biting too. Yep. There's all that's these different mean, things, is it? I'm a, nail bite, I'm a nail biter. Yeah, no. And it's it's funny that we we talk about it as like a way to track. I've been biting my nails as long as I can remember. My my dentist gives me a hard time every time I go in. Like, dude, you got to stop. And I, I, I can't. And it's like comforting and it's strange. Mm -hmm. But yeah, mm -hmm. I guess I, mean, I guess it's not strange. But I, I, I think that when it was pointed out to me by my parents, I was like shamed for biting my, my nails as yeah. a kid. Right. Just like, like I was told I was weak for talking about my feelings. Right. right. So it's, it all kind of goes together. And then of course I'm biting my nails. I can't talk about how I feel. It's like, no wonder why I spiraled out of control for so <laughs> yeah. long. You know, it's like the stigma is there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think those were the first symptoms that before alcohol came. Right. I mean, I was, I was too young to really think, oh, I'm going to have a glass of wine. That gets modeled later. Oh, I'm so stressed. I'm so anxious. And just have a drink, right? And so then you stop with the skin picking, but you start drinking instead. Or your food addictions get worse. Or, you know, because you have more control over, you know, when as a kid, you usually don't help yourself in the kitchen too much. But then later, as you get more independent, you, you know, buy yourself comfort food or you start drinking. And so I think early on, that's what you all say too, is like you had these other coping skill, um, skills for anxiety, like nail biting or skin picking and so on. Right. So it's, yeah. yeah. And nobody taught, like you said, nobody ever taught us to name that. Hey, that's anxiety. Yeah. That would have been so freaking helpful to me. My anxiety didn't that I recognized didn't really show up till I was a teenager. Mine has always been much more social. I started getting all of my self-worth from outside of me in my teens. And so then the anxiety set in and it was just the constant, oh my God, what do they think of me? That that drove me crazy. But nobody ever recognized that and I didn't understand what it was. Like you were saying, Aunt, I think it was you, you're able to just say now, oh, this is anxiety. Yes. And that I, doesn't I do make that it, quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't make yeah. it go away, but it almost gives you a certain amount of power. Like I was driving down to town yesterday and all of a sudden got that like rush of anxiety where like your heart starts racing and you're sweating. And like, for me, the thoughts go so fast. I don't even know what I'm thinking about. And if, for no reason, this is completely out of the blue. And I mean, this is done like generalized anxiety disorder. 
But I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? I'm failing as a parent. What is my kid going to be when she grows up? Like all of this stuff just like rushes to the surface at the same time. And I'm like crushed under all of it. And my heart's racing. I'm like, this is anxiety. And I am thinking about this huge, big picture of my life and panicking over all of it. And that might have been the first time that I really recognized exactly what was happening and then was able to bring it back and be like, okay, what can I do like right now though? Because I can't help my kid become a successful adult today. Like she's 15, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But what can I do? Well, I can go show up in her bedroom and just be like, hey, how are you? Do you want to talk? Um, And so bringing all of that, that big picture down to, all right, but what can I do at this moment really settled me. And I think that's, I like I feel like I just learned that yesterday. So I'm hoping that I can remember that the next time it happens. It's all about a whole bunch of things you can't control. Like right. yeah, my, my therapist calls it making movies in my head. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. No. Stop making movies in your head, Trav. Yeah. You know, you can control <laughs> what you play. Yeah. It's it's exactly that. I for me, I don't I don't get anxious too often. I it, it doesn't turn into something that I don't recognize and I can't easily let go of. It's like, you know, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm just going to just let it be and walk away from it, even if it's upstairs. I had to learn to just, a lot of the times for me, I had to just give it away, give it to someone, write it down, tell someone what's going on in my head so then I can stop what Travis says. You know, I can stop creating the movie in my head. If I let myself sit with that movie i can write the entire script and it becomes more and more a travesty and more and more catastrophic as i continue to write the script of that movie if i like if i don't get myself out of it so then my anxiety builds and builds and builds and what i do when that happens is i run to it Generally speaking, I don't run away from it. I don't. I, I run to it. I'm if if I'm if it has to do with a person, I I go to that person. This is that's my method of getting rid of it. Is 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 facing it. Like I'd like to go right up to you and say, okay, here we are. Let's talk about the problem, right? If I don't do that, I'll sit in it for a really long time. I'm better at it now, acknowledging that it's not always about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I, actually the first thing I learned. Fact check. Fact check your assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. Step one, make sure that what you're assuming and what's going on in your head is actual facts. What are the facts? And that's right. what you're doing, it sounds like. Yeah, Talk it's to like, the person, clarify the situation, right? Yeah, this is easier said than done for others, Steve. It's good that you can do this. <laughs> I, it, it, it's, I under, yeah, I, I get that too. It's not a lot of it comes from if you worry about what that other person is going to think. The problem is, is at that point in time, I feel so crappy that I'm not so worried about what the other person is going to think. I'm really concerned about myself, and because I'm really concerned about myself, I'm willing to stand in front of it 
right? And then if shit blows up in front of me while it's happening, at least I can deal with the situation. I can apologize for it. I can do all that. None of that almost ever happens because that's the story I play out in my head too. So a lot of it is, it's difficult. It's, it is absolutely difficult, but for me, it's it's more of a driving force than it is a debilitating force unless I let it get too carried away. And 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 I mean still I'm still definitely guilty of writing a catastrophic movie in my own head. And the worst part is after that, I still have to get it out. Like, I was gonna say, old- I've heard some of these catastrophic movies and they're impressive. Like you are an impressive screenwriter. Oh, mine would be impressive too. I'm sure, and really. I mine can... too. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I still, I, I still have to get it out. Julie, Julie has been privy to some of these catastrophic um, movies. I'll write it out because as soon as I give it, yeah. As soon as I put it out there, I can't write the movie anymore. The movie stops. Uh. I do something similar. I, I anymore go ask my husband for help. I'm like, mm-hmm. just lay it out there. Here's what happened. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's like, and I almost can't breathe. I'm just like throwing it all out. And then, of course, you know, I always think, oh, my God, that must be getting so old right while I'm saying it because I know it's all anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. But he's right there. And he's like, why do you care? Why do you? You know, like he just comes from a complete different neutral mm-hmm. And it is so good to get that feedback of, look, this is what's in your head. This is what I see. Here's what's really going to go down. And and then the so what game, right? So if, if this really comes true, so what, right? Then he'll go down this road. So what if that person is pissed? So what if this, so what? Let's play this game, you know, until you beat it down to the ground. <laughs> that in yeah. the end, the world's not going to end, right? That's something... My therapist, that's something my therapist said early on that stuck with me. Ask yourself, what is the worst thing that could happen Mm -hmm. here? And Mm -hmm. 99.9% of the time, it is something I will survive. Once I recognize the very worst thing, it makes the whole situation seem like something I can actually handle. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, you know, for me, the main point here. And I love that you guys reach out because I, I do that too. I, I learned a long time ago that I need to reach out to the people that love me and try to reason with this thing because it's a beast that is hard to reason with on my own. Right. But the problem is, you know, for me, like if I don't have someone around, I can't get a hold of somebody, you know, my nervous system doesn't know the difference, right? Like mm-hmm. that, the, that this movie is real or not. So like I said, I got into writing and, and creativity, making music as a way to almost like make friends with it and, mm-hmm. and explore it kind of in the way, Steve, where you said running into it, right? Mm-hmm. And facing it that way. So I guess like it's really just a question for everyone. And you guys have any experience of like other than reaching out because I feel like yeah. that's the first thing every everyone should do, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we make friends with this monster, if you want to yeah. call it that? I I go running. That's to me, you know how when you are anxious and you pour yourself a drink and you feel this like letting go and you can relieve, I get now the same thing out of running. I know and I do it deliberate, like intentionally. Oh, I feel so crappy. I know when I will come back through this door after this run, it will feel like I had a glass of wine. It will feel the same way because I've got it out of my system. And then it's exactly what happens. I run, I run, I run and I come back and I'm like, why were you so like, I can't even 
relate to it anymore, right? And that's Close how it, down. it used. Yeah, yeah. and that's how yeah. it used to do. The same thing used to happen with drinking. You know, you'd sit there after an hour and you'd be like, oh, whatever, right? But that wasn't healthy to do it that way. And now I can just go and run and come back and I get that same relief. And so I am forever grateful for running for that. And yeah. my world would end if I couldn't run anymore. That's like my biggest fear that physically that. I couldn't do that. Yeah. My, my thing is I also have poetry. That's something that I do when I can't stop thinking about something I'll, I'll wake up in the middle of the night. I'll wake up early in the morning. And I'm like, I can't stop thinking about this. I need to write down my feelings and I'll just start writing. I'll pull up a note in my phone and I'll start writing out my feelings and I'll write and I'll write and I'll write. And as I'm writing it, I'll feel myself kind of start to regulate. And then once I'm done with this and I read it, I'm like, yeah, I got my feelings out. I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. I like, organized my thoughts I made it sound pretty it like like and then I'll what I usually do after I do that is I'll call my sister because we all I have two younger siblings and we all have pretty similar like anxiety responses so I'll call like my sister and I'm like do you want to hear a poem I just wrote so my initial thing when I don't have someone is to write it out and I have been teaching my kids who have anxiety too and I'm a terrible example with the skin picking. So they pick their fingers and their face too. What I do now is my daughter likes to draw. So when she starts to get anxious, I tell her, draw it out. And she'll draw me pictures. And sometimes they're pictures of me yelling at her. And she's like, and I was sad. And I'm like, you know what? But you drew it out. And do you feel better? And she's like, yeah, I feel better. Can you put it on the fridge? And I'm like, sure, let's put it on the fridge. So amazing. those are little things that I'm like, I'm learning as an adult and I'm like, oh, these are tidbits I can give back to my kids because I'm I'm not going to fulfill their emotional needs all the time and I'm going to beat myself up for it. So instead of beating myself up for it, why don't I just like treat them like I would treat myself in this situation, you know? So I think it's really cool that you use creativity and that you brought that up because that is that is something that I also cling to when I when I feel like I either can't talk to somebody or I just have no available resources. I find when I'm really anxious is when my creativity shuts down. I'm a very creative person by nature and I'm constantly painting, sewing, whatever it is. When I get super anxious, it's like I can't even find two colors that match let alone go through the process of actually creating something like I have to settle it first. One thing that came to mind is I started playing piano when I quit drinking and I play piano very poorly, but like I, I took, I don't know, six months of piano lessons when I was eight years old and that's what I'm working off of. And so, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've come a long way. She has. Steve has heard it. Yep. But I have to concentrate so hard to play a song that I can't think about anything else. And I have trained myself to just focus on the keys. And I've taught myself a few fairly complicated songs that really take a lot of attention. Because if my mind starts to wonder, everything falls apart. And that's actually been a really good just calming technique for me. So I highly recommend piano. You don't have to be good at it for it to be helpful. 
And I second that. I second, I, I'm actually a fairly long and good piano player. I played for 10 years and did wow. very well. So, and my son has that same outlet. He cut my genes for music. And so he noticed that he, because he has anxiety too, that he can uh, let go when he plays. And that was something as a teenager, yeah, when I was still in school and taking lessons that would kind of center me and yeah. But honestly, for me, music is more a depression thing. That's like where I can keep staying functional when I'm depressed, more so than the anxiety, the running is for me more effective. But I second that in general for mental health. For me, music does a lot too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The meditation for me, I play guitar. I'm a vocalist in my band also. So it's like when I'm in the song, I'm not thinking about anything else. It's, you know, I'm, I'm fully present in whatever I'm creating in that moment. So like, I hear you. It's, a, it's like that escape that we look for in substances. You, it's, you have it there and it's, it's just, it's beautiful. It's really cool that we all sort of share that same sort of thing here. So thank you. Yeah. For me, it's a, it's a heightened sense of emotion. And when I'm experiencing a heightened sense of emotion, it comes out in, in generally in my writing in a journal entry or or sometimes in poetry because there's I, I i have recently written some poems too but generally it comes out in in a journal entry where i'll put pictures like i have pictures in my mind and and then emotion gets wrapped into that and then it comes out in those words and that's kind of where it all settles out once it just kind of i don't know it kind of it leaches right out right into the into the pen or into the and the so does the feeling and generally speaking it's it's even more fun to send that to someone it's almost because it's like you sharing it with your sister zoe right like it's interest it's neat to be able to share that heightened sense of emotion with someone because there's connection there and then when you share that connection too it's also relaxing i have to say i noticed i've tried it i've noticed that I'm, i like yoga a lot that that does not do anything for me so the whole thing that i've also learned in therapy is meditation breathing deep breathing square breathing all the stuff that does not work well for me. I was in yoga class and I came completely anxious and I thought, okay, this is going to do the trick. And I suffered through this class. I wanted to leave so bad. I couldn't stay in that place. I was just barely hanging on. I I wanted to crawl out of my skin. I was so anxious and that nothing in that class was in any kind of way settling me down. It was torture to stay there put. And yeah, so the, the yoga and the anxiety, that thing does not work for me so well. I need to move. I need to, yeah, get 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 it somehow out of my system by wearing myself out. <laughs> I think that's more the thing that works for me. So everybody's a little different. And for some people, the yoga might work really well. But for me, yoga class is not for uh, crisis mode anxiety. <laughs> that does not work. I think it's important too, just to recognize it's okay if that doesn't work because you hear so many people say, oh, if you're anxious, you just need to do yoga. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, and that's okay. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. That just means 
there's something else that's going to work better for you. I think it's good to just recognize that and not try to force it to be the thing that you need, because there have been things that I like, well, everybody says, this is what I need. I need to meditate. Mm -hmm. I don't meditate. Well, I can't meditate. And all it does is frustrate me. And I still tried and tried and tried and tried to meditate because that's what everybody said was going to make me feel better. Meditation gives me anxiety. Yeah, it's it's okay Same. just to let things not work. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Yeah, it's like no, this isn't it, like that's it, it, it's frustrating, right? And it's like it's working for everyone else that isn't working for me, right? Yeah, and which is yeah. probably there's probably three other people thinking the same thing, right? Right, but here's the thing: those kind of things help me more from like a uh, like the le operational level like my stress level versus my you know to kind of keep in general and uh when i go to you i do go to yoga twice or three times a week just to kind of stay balanced i mean more like the crisis mode go-to mm -hmm. mechanisms right where yoga doesn't work for me it just does not the running works but i think yoga has a good place in my right. life to just keep me more balanced in general as a person without like the regular spikes of Oh my God, you know, so in meditation could be the same, you know, that it keeps your system in a good spot, but it doesn't work in crisis mode kind of thing. You yeah. Know? Like yeah. general self-care probably doesn't work when you're in crisis mode that yeah. requires level one or level two or level three of, okay, yeah. that's not going to work. And I would venture a guess is if you probably don't do yoga, crisis mode probably happens faster. <laughs> because yeah. that's what happens when we let go of self-care right generally mm -hmm. speaking we let let life get too busy and we start ignoring the things that help keep us sane and help keep us grounded and help keep those thoughts from running away right. from yoga and into actually running um <laughs> just i don't know yeah. oh, that's what it is for me too uh -huh. steve it's like you know, all these self-care things. And I, I, what I really appreciate about the group is you're all really good about validating like what you actually need, like what works for, for you in certain situations. And I kind of look at it, you know, like for you, it's running for me. Like I go to the gym and it sort of slows things down. And, you know, I have my writing and I have my music. I kind of look at it like putting on my armor, right? Mm -hmm. I'm big into video games. So it's, I just, my brain always goes there. So, you know, I'm putting on my armor. So, you know, there's less crisis, you know, and this, so when the crisis does happen, I've had a plan. I've already, you know, I've already been there. It's really just about mitigating the disaster that used to be every day. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys know, right? Yeah. I love this conversation. This is great. <laughs> it <laughs> is. So it's a good fun. one. <laughs> we are probably getting close to wrapping up. Before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about medication because I have talked to so many people who feel like they're failing at recovery if they go to the doctor and get medication for anxiety or depression. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that probably needs to be talked about like in every podcast and every conversation ever. I know for me, I was on anxiety medication the whole time I was drinking. And I was like, obviously this is not working, right? Clear. It, come to find out, it, it turns out it was the alcohol. 
but I, I mean, my anxiety definitely it decreased a ton when I quit drinking. And so then I was like, oh, well, maybe I don't need the anxiety meds because now I've quit drinking and the drinking was causing the anxiety. So I did actually, I mean, with my doctor, I weaned off of the anxiety meds and realized those meds were actually doing a lot for me that I didn't recognize. And then I went back on them and I don't at all feel like I'm failing at recovery for that. I feel like I'm doing what is necessary. I just hear so many people talk about that and feel like they're supposed to be, now that they've quit drinking, they're supposed to be handling everything in life without any medication. And so I think it's worth just bringing that up and talking about it. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, there's this probably a sense of perfection there. I quit drinking. Now I'm not going to take anything and I'm going to recover because, you know, this guy, one of these people that I know is doing it without it. When I quit, I went right to my doctor and I told my doctor, I have a drinking problem and this is what I'm worried about and all of that. And he's like, we'll just put you on some anxiety meds just to like level you out for the first year and take you off. I ended up stopping stopping taking them completely after 8 months and they helped me at the beginning. I can like I wasn't at the beginning I wasn't capable of regulating my thoughts. I just wasn't like it was very very difficult to not tell myself a story that didn't exist. I was amazing at writing those movies and that helped me not really do that and it, at least to a point where I could control what I was going to do day to day, right? I think it's important to recognize what those needs are and go and ask for help if you think you need help and then accept that help and at least give it a try because you Mm -hmm. really don't have anything to lose other than finding the answer if you're going to get help. Yeah. I was diagnosed with a panic disorder when I was 19 years old. I was with my son's father and we were in a really toxic relationship and I was prescribed Lexapro and Xanax and I liked Lexapro. I hated Xanax. I didn't like how it made me feel. It personally didn't feel like I remember taking it and being like, like, I don't care what's happening right now, but I know my problems still exist. So I don't like this because I feel like for me, this is dangerous because I don't like to get into the, I call it the fuckets. Um, because when I get into the fuckets, I do really, really awful self-sabotaging stuff. So after that relationship ended and I met my now husband, I was still on Lexapro, but I was drinking cause I was newly 21 and I was blacking out very, very easily on the medication. Like I would drink a beer or two, wake up, have no memory of my night. So I, I decided at 21, I was like, well, I'm not depressed. I want to keep drinking. I'm going to stop taking my antidepressant. And I did that just because I wanted to drink more. And how that ended up manifesting is over the next few years, I was the most depressed I've ever been. And it was because my alcohol usage just kept getting out of control. So while I'm not on anything now, antidepressant wise, and I don't feel the need to be, I don't downplay anybody who uses antidepressants because everyone's just trying to survive. (laughs) Like my vice was alcohol. 
and a lot of people's vice is alcohol. So because you stop drinking doesn't mean your depression goes away. Some people still need help with that. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand why people are like, oh, well, you have to you have to just completely fix everything and you got to do it without any kind of help. That's the most asinine thing I've ever heard in my life. That's like being like, here, you're on a sinking ship. but We're going to take all your life preservers away because mm-hmm. we know that one of you is a cross country swimmer and y'all are you, he's gonna make it so the rest of y'all are just gonna make it right mm-hmm. like i don't know it's just it's just insane to me like people's problems when they quit drinking it's not their antidepressants so to tell them to stop their antidepressants too it just it bothers me it really does yeah. i i go a holistic route but that yeah. works for me and i am fully aware that recovery is not one size fits all so to sit there and be like on my high horse and be like oh well i don't do it so no one else should be able to do it that's dumb because i don't know what other people have been through so it works for you works for you and if people have something negative to say about it then fuck them <laughs> i'm gonna I leave think that mis- yeah <laughs> I, i'm sorry yeah. i'm very definitely that's stan that is oh, just no that's yeah. great that is just mic drop yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. I just wanted to add there's a misconception that it's either or and I think for really to get a lot out of it you have to do both you have to the, the medicine can help you do the things you should be doing or can be doing like for me it is like I, I can implement the things I can implement because of medication like I don't know if I could get myself to go on a run without you know, having some help or so. So I think the misconception is, is that you do either one or the other, but really what it is, is that one can help the other to work. So medication can set you up to have healthy coping skills. And so I I just don't want it to look like there's either black or there's white. It's just a means to the end to have good, good, good habits in life. I think that uh, you can see it that way. And if you need something to have good habits, why not use that? That's what they're there for. And you wouldn't not take your blood pressure medicine either, just so that you have, you know, your body's working well. So that's uh, something I've learned. And I think what I really feel like we totally missed here in this podcast is that we all came to this realization that alcohol made actually the anxiety worse than it first was trying to help with that was Mm -hmm. something I did not know and I that's why I just want to say that one thing again because there might be people that listen to this that are still also in the dark about it I did not know when I quit drinking that it would do so much more anxiety right I only listened to some quit literature where like alcohol explained is a really good book that addresses that where in the book they describe what actually happens in your brain that you go through withdrawal, the withdrawal causes anxiety that makes you want to drink and you don't learn that one causes the other because there's this time delay that the anxiety because of the withdrawal kicks in so much later after you drank that you don't connect one event with the other Mm -hmm. to really understand what's happening. And so that's why I want to bring that up again, that there is, that is something that is also never really talked about that, alcohol is actually part of the culprit and since i don't drink anymore my anxiety on itself has reduced quite a bit and so yeah look forward to that (laughs) it is a blessing (laughs) yeah that was something i got out of alcohol explained too was the the physiological effects of alcohol and the way that that actually causes anxiety again you hear so many people say they drink to calm their anxiety. 
And well, you know, this thing happened to they're on day four, day five of sobriety. And they're like, well, my anxiety is just out of control. I have to drink. And I just, like, I wish that I could explain it the way that he does in an alcohol explained, because that is, it, it just changed the way that I looked at that. Mm-hmm. It's important we talk about it, right? Because I, I feel like everyone can relate to that. Like, yeah, I just need that drink. But it's always, you know, okay, maybe you're good for that first little bit, but it's the the withdrawal and the next day that is that is so awful. So I'm glad that we we talked about that. But I just want to circle back to before and like what we think about uh, medicated assisted treatment. And, uh, you know, I, I believe in my heart that uh, people are in recovery when they say they are and how mm-hmm. how they are. Right. Whatever that, whatever that means for them. So if it's, you know, if it's medication, that that that's wonderful. Speaking personally, yeah, I know medication helped for me in the beginning, but over time, you know, when you stop taking it, the anxiety is still there. I think it was Zoe said something like that earlier, where you know I had to dive a little bit deeper. But I'm not going to shame anyone for whatever pathway that they choose to get to get better. You know, because we're all we're all here to get better right whatever whatever that means yeah exactly yep okay guys this was a really amazing refreshing conversation it was awesome everyone had so many good points the one thing was is Brene Brown says it and anxiety and excitement they feel the same so it's easy to get them confused with each other too because they feel physically the exact same way but we talked about a lot of really good things. Travis, you mentioned making friends with it. And everyone had a different way to make friends with it. How do we do that? And the neat thing is, is it's one of those, whatever works for you. And that is just its own discovery process. Self-care, how to keep that anxiety grounded. And Julie, you mentioned medication. And I think that was really great that we did talk about it. We all have experience with it and it's part of the path. It was all part of our, our journeys. Doesn't make that journey any less or more than what it is. I think we're all sitting here very successful working through what we need to work through. Everyone's recovery is their own. So that path, whether it's, it includes harm reduction or medication or running piano could be anything. As long as it's something healthy and it's helping you move toward your goal, there's nothing wrong with it. So Travis, Antia, and Zoe, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your thoughts. It was awesome having you guys on tonight. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate you a ton. Yeah, this has been great, you guys. Thank you. Yeah, that was really good. Amazing. To our listeners, thank you for spending your time with us today. We really appreciate you. Don't forget to like, subscribe, or follow so you don't miss next week's episode all about the difference between sobriety and recovery.